chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse number 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abai, Abijah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass, while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. (coughs) And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, <coughs> again, we certainly do love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, I ask for your blessing and your help today as I speak and as I preach your word. Help me to stay true to your word. Lord, I pray that your spirit would work. Lord, that it would draw us closer to you. Lord, please work. Use us to be a help and an encouragement to, to do the work that needs to be done, whether it's encouraging, reproving, rebuking. Lord, that you would be glorified, that it would help us. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted. Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing that perhaps, 
uh, <clears throat> even this morning they would repent and place their faith in Christ. Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to back up first, uh, before we get into the set text here, to 400 years earlier. Really over, five, over 400 years. It was, it was well over 400 years. Um, and between four and 500 years that the last prophet of God spoke. And that actually would be Malachi. He spoke over 400 years earlier. So since that time, 400 years, our nation isn't even 400 years old. All right, this is going back to, we'd have to go back in the same time frame, back to the 1600s. So for the last 400 years, there has been nothing but silence from God. Nothing but silence. During the past 400 years, uh, in the history of the nation of Israel, it was a very difficult time for them. Lots of trials, lots of struggles, lots of afflictions that took place during these 400 years. When Malachi leaves the scene, there's a dominant world empire that is in place. It really, that goes back to the Babylonian with Daniel and to the Persian empire that was in control. And so when Malachi goes off the scene, the last of the prophets of God at this time, Persia's in control. They would lose their dominance of the world to Alexander the Great. Upon Alexander the Great's death, there's basically battles that begin to take place between some of his generals, and Israel gets caught in the middle of it. It's through this time they lived through a man named Antiochus. He was absolutely brutal to the nation of Israel. We consider him a type of the Antichrist. He was so brutal. Matter of fact, what they went through and suffered under him, what they had to endure, they will not have to endure again in history until the Great Tribulation takes place and the rise of the true Antichrist is present. But Antiochus was brutal. Israel had managed to gain some independence, led by a revolt by a man named Judah Maccabees. Matter of fact, Hanukkah, which is being celebrated right now, is in celebration of his victory, which gained Israel a measure of independence. That independence would be short-lived, because the Roman Empire would come on the scene and once again occupy the nation of Israel. It's during the 400 years that Judaism also begins to change. Really, we'd have to go back to the Babylonian captivity to see a lot of the, a lot of the root of what was taking place that would change Judaism. But there were many dangers that began to come into play within the religion of Judaism in the 400 years. You had the rise of two different sects that would become political, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees being the conservative, even when it comes to theology, and the Sadducees who had become very liberal, denying some key doctrines and only holding to some biblical truths. 
The Pharisees, although they were holding to the truth of the word of God, they opened themselves up to other corruption, which were giving more rights, more, more weight, if you will, to their own writings and to their own interpretations and to their own traditions than they actually were the word of God. It's during the 400 silent years that we see the rise of the things like the synagogue takes place, which would be a precursor to the local church. So during this time, generation after generation has come and gone. And there's been not one word from God. Not during the time of Antiochus. Not when the Maccabees and that family was ruling. There's been nothing. There's not been a dream. There's not been a vision. There's been no prophet of God that could stand up and in truth say, Thus saith the Lord. God has been silent for four Hundred years. <clears throat> they all, the nation understood that there was a promised Messiah that was to come. And no doubt they are hoping for it and seeking it, especially under the Roman rule that is in control of their nation. They are no longer self governing, there is no king of Israel. The nation is suffering great trials both on a personal level in the struggles of daily life to politically, yet God is silent. Now we come to Luke chapter 1. We come to our text and we find a man named Zechariah, his wife Elizabeth. These two, just like everyone else alive at this time, has, has never met a prophet of God. There's not been one time anybody that's alive in the nation, or has been for generations prior even, that actually was able to sit under and hear a prophet of God preach. They have their own personal struggles. As Elizabeth is unable to have any children at all. That would be burdensome. They had their troubles in government because Herod the Great is in, is in power. He is ruthless. A man who murdered three of his own children, murdered his first wife. So here is Zacharias. We come to him. And, of course, we we're introduced to his wife. They are a couple that is waiting on Christmas. They're waiting to hear from God. They're waiting for God to break his silence. It's been 400 years. They have no idea if that's going to happen during their lifetime or not. But I assure you of this, they want Christmas to happen. There are times in our own life when God is silent. When you're waiting for your Christmas, if you will. When you're waiting for God to break that silence. At times when your family is going through great trials and struggles and it seems as if God does nothing. 
And God is silent. Maybe a wayward child that has turned from the Lord. And you, you lift up your prayers day after day after day as they're caught up in the lies and the deception of this world. And it seems as if God is silent. When facing sickness of a spouse or a child, and you pray and pray, but it's just as if God is silent. Maybe when facing personal tragedy, and you hear nothing from God. Maybe growing stress in your marriage, and at times it just seems as if God is silent. I think there's been times that all of us can relate to in life, if you're of any age, of any time serving God. I can think of times being right in the middle of the will of God, sitting on an island in New Guinea with just under tremendous pressure, stress, and everything that was taking place, and it just seemed as if God was doing nothing. So what do we do when God is silent? What do we do when we're waiting for God to show up? What do we do when we're waiting for Christmas? We can, we can learn a lot from Zacharias and Elizabeth. As the Bible in our text describes for us what they did when God was silent. Now, let's go over the events that day. Could you go ahead and pull that image up? Zacharias was of the course of Abijah. By the way, I'll be, I think I mentioned this in Sunday school. I don't know if I did it in my greeting in the morning service. I will be doing the Christmas lesson on the birth of Christ and why I believe that it actually is December 25th. And that will be taking place not this Wednesday, but I believe the following Wednesday service. That's when I'm going to be doing that. And so Zacharias was, was one of the priests. It was his time to serve in the tabernacle. And it was, he, he would head into the holy place. Let me see if we can describe. There is not a pointer up here, Josiah, so I probably will have you use you and the mouse for this. So, Zacharias, it was, it was his course to serve in the temple. And we know exactly what position he had on the day that is described for us right here. So, let's, let's go over these events, what took place. Here is just a simple image of, of, of this being more of the tabernacle, but the same thing in place when it would come to the temple. It was actually very difficult to find a decent image uh, before the service this morning. But this one sort of covers what I need. Outside of the holy place, you have the brazen altar when you come in where the, where the sacrifice would be made for sin and whatnot down here at the bottom. And then the laver there for the cleansing. And then you get into the holy place, which only... Uh, certain of the priests could enter into here and they would perform daily functions. That's what's taking place in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, you'd have a total of three priests that would enter. The first one would come in and he would head to the altar of incense. That's up by the curtain, Josiah. If you could just move your move that right around. It's no, right, in the, right there. The altar of incense right there. All right. So when you would come in, it really would be a spectacular sight. You have the table of showbread there off to the right. You have the golden lampstand would be off to the left. The altar of incense sitting right there. Then you'd have that beautiful curtain 
um, that would be there, followed going into the most holy place, which is where the Ark of the Covenant uh, um, would be in the very back. And of course, there only the high priest himself would enter into there, and that would only be once a year, and that was it. And so what happened on this day with Zechariah was this. One of the priests would enter in. He would head to the altar of incense. And basically what he would do was clean it out from the previous day. He would get the previous ashes. Those would be removed. Then a second person. By the way, when he, when he left, he would back out very reverently. He would, he would simply back out. Okay? The second one would come. And he would take from the brazen altar coals of fire that were burning. He would bring those in to the holy place. And he would put those into the altar of incense. And then he would back out at that time. Now's when Zacharias comes in. Zacharias' order, of course, it actually showed a position of leadership he would have been in for the role that he did have, is he would now come in and he would head to the altar of incense. And the coals, it's now burning uh, with, the alt- with the coals taken from the um, altar of, of, of of the brazen altar, the altar of sacrifice, and he would then put the incense onto those coals, and that sweet smelling uh, 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 would come up into the smoke, and it would just uh, uh, representing the prayers of the saints. So that's what's taking place when we read. They're going through those events. You have the showbread, which would just have, you can't even see it in the image, it would just have six or, or a total of 12 loaves, one, one stack of six, another stack of six loaves. Uh, and there's so much symbolism here. This isn't about the temple, but Christ being the bread of life, him being the light of the world, the candlestick. There's just much that goes into this. So you can remove that image now. So Zacharias heads in. Again, the, the sight, just to the privilege to be part of this would be incredible. There would be multitudes with the priests who went on outside praying, especially at the time with what uh, Zacharias is doing. So you could picture this as he puts the incense on, the smell goes up, and he begins to back out. He begins to back out, and between the altar of incense and, and the candlestick appears an angel, just like that. There he is, he's backing out, he could smell it, it's working, he's coming back, and all of a sudden, boom, there's this enormous creature right there. Fear hits him immediately. And of course, the angel proclaims, fear not. Thy prayer is heard. You know what? I could just see Zacharias as he's backing out with knowing what that smoke represents, and even in his own heart at that moment, praying for his wife. And then, bam! Fear not, thy prayer is heard! And get this. For the first time in 400 years, the silence is broken. God has spoken. It's over with. The silence has been broken. Christmas has arrived. But what do we do when God is silent? What do we do when we're waiting on God to show up? What do we do as we're waiting for Christmas, if you will? 
I want to point some things out from the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth of what they did. Number one, I want you to look at verse number six and verse number nine. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. This is their life. Verse 9, we see Zacharias being faithful to the work God had called him to. According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So the first thing I want to point out about what you need to do when you're waiting on God, because it can be a vulnerable time, the mind games that can take place. So the first thing I want to point out is this. When God was silent, and they, ne- they never got to hear a preacher, if you will. They never got to hear the saith the Lord. They stayed faithful. They stayed right. So the first thing is, do right. Don't stop. You stay faithful with what you know to do. You don't quit. This is about making life about the Creator, about God. I mean, Zacharias and Elizabeth lived in a day truly when multitudes were giving up. Religious leaders really exchanging truth for tradition. Judaism had become so burdensome, just bogged down, especially when it became all these regulations on the Sabbath day. All of a sudden, all of this Judaism that was, that was once steeped in, and based in truth was now based in these oral traditions and traditions of these men when there's been no prophet of God. And now it's become just burdensome on the people. Man, all of a sudden living for rules instead of God, and many were quitting and and just turning aside. Many doubting the truth of God's word, thus proven by the rise of the group like the Sadducees. Adultery was at an all-time high. Divorce was rampant and common. Many Many of those who were serving God, many of those who were faithful, They were simply faithful to be noticed of men. This was the nation of Israel. This was the nation that should have the light of the world. And yet many of the people now were more consumed with nationalism than they were about the Creator Himself. Yet here is Zacharias and Elizabeth. You know what they determined? I mean, here's this husband and wife living in this very difficult day with their own personal struggles and trials. But you know what? They just determined, you know what? Whatever lot we are given in life, we will serve God. That's what we'll do. We will stay right. We will do right. When it comes to the things of the Lord, we will be blameless. You know what that is? That's somebody who loves God. Period. 
That's somebody who loves. He's not looking for provision. I mean, in this day, if you want an excuse for the provision of your flesh, you could find it. If you, wanted to, if you wanted to have a reason to turn aside and just live how you wanted to in this day, you could find it. Or if you wanted your religion to be about seen of men, to have all the applause, to have all the, simply the accolades to serve God uh, 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 um, just out of your own pride and your own ego, you could easily do it in that day. But Zacharias, he simply did right because he loved God. He did right. He stayed faithful. He kept himself pure before God because he wanted to honor God. Even with the wicked government that was in control. I mean, by this time, Herod would have been in control, I don't know, probably 25 years he's probably been in control by the time this comes about. He did right and he did not quit. Even though others were changing and the world was changing around him, the man stayed right. Listen, when God is silent, stay faithful. Don't change. Stay right. Even if the rest of your family goes by the wayside, stay right. Stay faithful. Do what's right. Don't listen to all the voices pulling you from it. There's multitudes out there. I got news to you. Misery loves company. Even though it seems as if God is silent, don't quit. By the way, there was no prophet. That is very true. Oh, but was God at work during those 400 years? He was, his sovereign hand was, was mightily at work in preparation for Christmas. Listen, and the truth is this. Even though I mean, his wife could not have a child, the truth is we don't serve God and, 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 and try and be obedient because of what we get from God. We serve God because he's God. So number one, what we see about Zacharias and Elizabeth, they did right. They served God with a pureness. Number two. Look at verse seven. And they had no child. Because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years. Number two, I want you to notice something about them. And this, by the way, had this come in, it would have taken him out of the will of God. It would never, never would have been his son that would be the forerunner for the Messiah. God in the flesh. Listen to me. Number two, when God is silent, don't blame God. That they could allow this. I mean, in this day and age, especially with, as we can see, the type of man that Zachariah and Elizabeth is and wanting to honor God, they understood the importance of family. They understood the importance of, of, of having children. Today, that is mocked. 
Today that is ridiculed. I mean, abortion is everywhere. The, the, the home is in a complete breakdown with the devil's success and, and taking the mom out of the home and somehow degrading the position of a mother. And we are reaping as a culture, as a society, at what is taking place by the complete breakdown of the family. But to Zacharias, he understood how special that was. And yet his wife could not have any children. I have no doubt the devil tempted many times in his demons to get him to blame God. To get him to turn from God. To get him to put blame on God. Listen, you're one of the men staying faithful, Zachariah. Look at it. You're the one staying blameless. You're actually serving God in purity. He does nothing for you. Turn from him. He never blamed God. How often we tend to blame God. When things don't go in life as we think they should go. And we actually put the blame on the very Creator Himself. I listened to a clip. There's this this man that I followed him for, I don't know, it's probably been 15 years now. He's an atheist. And he's an astronomer. That's how I came across him. As you know, I, I enjoy astronomy. I'm amazed at the universe. And so he studies it for his living, and, and he, he has a measure of notoriety and following now. And he was asked this week if he believed in God. And he was being interviewed on, on a talk show, I believe it was. And so the talk show host had asked him, hey, do you believe in a creator? And he had said this. He had said, well, I've always been taught that if there's a God that he'd be all-powerful, and that he'd be good. And then he made this statement. He goes, I don't see evidence for either of those. Oh, the evidence is everywhere. The evidence of his goodness is everywhere. See, his problem is what? His problem is he doesn't understand God's justice. He doesn't understand what we actually deserve as God's creation. So often we look around and we tend to blame God when He is actually the answer to our problems. There is so much that we bring upon ourselves, even in our own personal life, because of the games that we play with the Creator. When there's not a realness, when there's not a depth to our Christianity, when it's just a a Sunday morning religion, and then we wonder why our families fall apart. Take it serious. Zacharias is here. and I mean, you could just see all those years. He's now well stricken. This isn't new. He's not 25 years old now. He stayed faithful all his days, even though the majority of his life, God was silent, even in his personal trials. shows us he served God because it was right. Again, not because of getting blessing. The devil understands that the majority of Christians who do serve, many times it simply is because of the blessings of God. 
You want to know how we know that? The story of Job. Do you understand that when Satan went before God and was making his accusations, and, and, and God throws out there Job, hey, have you considered Job? Satan really believed when he told God, well, if you allow me to touch him, if you allow me to bring affliction into his life, he'll curse you. You protect him. Satan believed it. Why did Satan believe that? Because that was the pattern of God's creation. And, of course, God said, have at it. Have at it. Why? Because Satan was going to see somebody who was real. Who, although he did have God's protection, which is great to have, he never served God because of the protection. He never served God because of the blessing. I mean, we have these nonsense preachers on television today taking advantage of so many naive people that don't understand the first thing about Scripture. We don't serve God because of blessing. You don't give your tithe so God will give you tenfold. You give your tithe because it's right. You do right because of God. And then within that framework is where you walk by faith. Lord, whatever my lot is, I am yours. I will serve you. You stay faithful. Don't blame God for the trials. Don't blame God for the struggles. Instead, trust Him. Number three. What to do when God is silent. Number three. Number one, do right. Number two, don't blame God. Number three, notice what the angel said to Zacharias in verse 13. But the angel of the Lord said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. Pray. Pray. Don't stop. Don't stop praying. Have a genuine, have a true prayer time. Don't stop. I would guess this has been a prayer. I don't know. I would guess this has been a matter of prayer somewhere between 45 and 55 years in the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Don't stop praying. Again, because I think, based on, on the angel's response and what he said to him, that once again... Here he is, it was of his course, it was his time during the year, the privilege to serve in the temple, and he's backing out. The incense is going up, he can smell it, he knows it represents the prayers of the saints of God. And once again, he throws his own out there, Lord, please, we want a child. He never stopped praying. Thy prayer is heard. By the way, remember this, regardless of the answer, your prayer is heard. You keep on praying, you keep on praying, you stay persistent before the Lord. And then you hear that angel say, thy prayer is heard. Maybe because God has been silent in your life, you stop praying. That was a wrong decision. Get back on your knees. 
continue praying and continue praying and continue praying. Why? Because it's right. Listen, please remember this. Life is not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. Lastly, when God does break his silence, we see a a, a caution here that would apply to our life, just like Zacharias. There's a major caution here when God does break his silence. When God does break his silence, listen, don't doubt. Verse 18 and 19. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, my wife well stricken in years. The angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I am sent to speak unto thee to show thee these things. So let's look what's taking place here. I mean, Gabriel has to be excited. He knows. He's at the right hand of God, the messenger of God. And, and here it is. This, this order of Abijah is in the temple. The Lord knows it is time. He knows he has, he has shut up the womb of Elizabeth. He has this faithful man that has been serving God and serving God. And God has noticed it every single day of his life. To God is going to put this privilege and honor, which will put his name in the word of God. His son will be the forerunner of the Messiah. And you can just see God in heaven calls over Gabriel. You're heading down. And Gabriel knows it's been 400 years. And he lets him know this is what you're going to do. That man right there, that is Zacharias. He has been blameless and faithful. He has prayed for a child, for his wife. It is the fullness of time. It is the time uh, uh, when the Son of God will head to the earth. This is now in preparation for those events. Head down. Head to that temple. The silence will be broken. So here comes Gabriel. He has to be just so excited. He's down there. Zacharias is backing up. Boom, he appears. Just like he was accustomed to seeing happen, fear hits over Zacharias. Fear not, for thy prayers are heard. Now, he is expecting. He's not all-knowing. He's just an angel. He's expecting Zacharias to say, man, hallelujah, amen, thank you. But that's not what happens. Zacharias hears this, he's like, what? How do I know this is going to come about? I mean, me and my wife, we're well stricken in years. He gets hit with doubt. Gabriel's response is one of my favorite in the entire word of God. Because Gabriel's like, what? I'm Gabriel. I'm at the right hand of God. I'm his messenger. How could you possibly doubt this? Hello, look at me. He goes, I'll give you a sign. You ain't speaking. I'm shutting your mouth up. You're not going to speak a word until this guy's born. Can't believe this. I'm out of here. Bam, and he's gone. It was anticlimactic to the end of the 400 years. (laughs) But nonetheless, when God broke his silence, there was a measure of doubt.
Sometimes when you don't hear from God for so long, that when He does speak, you doubt. Doubt can come when things don't go as planned. Sometimes the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? Because John the Baptist would find himself doubting. Because things didn't go as planned. He's in the prison. He himself thought the kingdom would come. He wasn't quite seeing the cross either and all that would take place. Even though he's the one who proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. But things didn't go as planned and doubt hit. Or doubts can come when you feel all is lost. Just like with Thomas at the arrest of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even being told, no, he's risen from the dead. I'm not going to believe. Not unless I see it. Gabriel tried to help Zachariah through his doubt. He did. Basically, he's letting him know this. Zacharias, trust in God's word. He said it. He'll do it. You trust in it. Gabriel said, I am sent from God. Zacharias needed to trust in God's word. He needed to trust in the goodness of God. And the truth is, God is arranging all this to show his power. There was so often that God does allow different circumstances to come about that he can demonstrate a measure of his greatness before us in our life. Not for him, for you. Because the truth is, I mean, even though God is the creator of all, I mean, the one who spoke in this universe came into existence. That same God who has all that power knew everything about that simple man, Zacharias. Everything. Knew everything about his life. Knew exactly what he'd been praying for day after day, year after year. And God cared. There are times when God is silent. But his sovereign hand is always at work. Always. So what you do is those times that God is silent is you stay right. You stay faithful. If you have difficulty on a personal level with different circumstances in life, don't you dare blame God. You do not want God's justice, what you deserve in your life. You don't want that. We all are experiencing God's goodness and grace every single day. You don't blame God. You keep doing what's right. 
You stay on your knees in prayer. And then when God begins to work, don't doubt. Respond. Respond. With heads bowed and eyes closed.